Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is one thing that I have a tendency to say a pretty good bit on this show, and I like to think that leaders are repeaters, that sometimes it's important to say certain things over and over again. Some of you may at times say I say certain things too much over and over again, but once again, I think there is some value in repetition if what you're saying is important. And one of the, the phrases or the statements that I repeat fairly often is this, is that when it comes to what's going on, the inner workings of a football program, that media may think it knows, fans may hope that it knows, but there is one constituency out there that truly is most likely to know the real comings and goings of a program. What's really happening when you open the hood? What's really happening when you get behind closed doors? And that constituency is the recruits themselves. Now, at first blush, that may not seem true because recruits are lied to all the time. I mean, there is, I mean, there's just no end to that. Uh, I, even some examples around the country of the last few days of some sort of odd behavior from certain programs related to certain recruits. That recruits are always being given kind of this crazy over the moon sales pitch everything's going to be great if you come here you're going to come here you're going to change the culture and all this stuff's going to happen so at first blush it may seem like recruits would be the last to truly know what's going on with the program because of the amount of disinformation they're forced to filter through uh each and every time they have a conversation with a the coach they visit a program or anything like that you know visit a campus it may, it may seem like they'd be the last to know the true story given the amount of misinformation they are dealt but the honest truth is is that when you are very close to something you can just sort of tell when somebody's lying right you can just sort of tell what the truth is your actions have a tendency to speak louder than words any of you that have you know, kind of ever played poker or if you ever like have a friend that has a hard time telling the truth you know they're either usually staring up at the sky or looking down at their shoes or there's usually some sort of tell that something's not quite on the up and up recruits just sort of have a way of knowing you know are things good here or are things bad here and and the story that i've told in the past that i think illustrates this for georgia I think one of the most amazing things in the world, and we've joked recently about the what's wrong with UGA recruiting meme. UGA fans have kind of revisited that topic each and every summer because the moment there's any kind of setback, the moment there's any kind of you know sort of odd occurrence, disappointing news, there's a tendency of some fans to kind of pivot towards negativity and say, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What's wrong with UGA recruiting? And it seems like there's been a version of that each and every year. And when the hay is actually in the barn for that year's recruiting class, everything turns out to be fine. All of this really started for Georgia in that summer of 2017, when Georgia at one point in time was ranked, and they spent a good bit of the summer, I forget the exact number, but they were ranked like somewhere in the 70s, like the 70th something recruiting class in the country. They were taking commits with all due respect from guys that were, you know, very lowly rated prospects. You're kind of left to wonder, wait, is, is what's going on here? How, how is this all playing out? That was kind of the genesis of the what's wrong with UGA, you know, recruiting meme. And at the time, it seemed like a valid question because at the time summer of 2017 building towards the 2018 class at the time it seemed like there was something wrong with UGA recruiting but it's always really interesting to me that behind the scenes there 
and you know kind of away from the watchful eye fans and media georgia was actually on its way to building a recruiting class that would end up being ranked number one in the country for, for 2018 i promise i'm going some over this so just give me a la- uh, leeway and latitude here for a moment that all that work was being done and what's amazing about that is is that the work to build that number one recruiting class for georgia in 2018 was actually being done prior to the success that Georgia enjoyed on the field in 2017. In other words, if you look back on the timeline now, it seems to make sense in a way that wasn't actually true if you actually lived through that period of transformation of the Georgia program. If you go back and look and you see, well, Georgia had the the number three class in 2017. They used some of those freshmen to win the SEC and make the college football playoff during the 2017 season. And then they carried that momentum along the way towards eventually being ranked number one in recruiting for the class of 2018 that just seems like the sensible timeline for how all that unfolded but as you know that's not quite how recruiting works that actually if you want to have a good uh you know uh, recruiting class at the end of the cycle you have to do big work during the summer to make that happen you remember like the zamir white commitment all the kind of stuff that kind of went into that all of that took place prior to Georgia having the big breakout season on the field in 2017. So much of the great recruiting success that Georgia enjoyed on its way to being number one in 2018, the most recent season that those recruits had a chance to see was the 8-5 and five season in 2016. Yet recruits being the first to know there really was a transformation taking place. They committed to Georgia. They were on their way to committing to Georgia because they believed that Georgia really was about to kind of emerge on the scene. And lo and behold, that turned out to be true. Georgia, you know, goes out and has, you know, the college football playoff level success in 2017 it certainly seems like those 2018 recruits had a glimpse that something like that could be possible for georgia because of what was happening on the inside with the program however there's also the flip side of this from time to time that when recruits are being sold a positive message from georgia sometimes maybe some of those recruits aren't quite ready to believe that i've mentioned this in the show before too but i want to mention this today as a way of setting us up for where we need to go uh, when, when Eric Gilbert was a recruit on the scene for the class of 2020 prior to making his pledge eventually to LSU when he was being pitched by Georgia, I think you can sort of get the sense from Gilbert on the basis of what he did uh, you know, with his college choice. I think you can sort of get the sense that maybe Gilbert wasn't quite ready to believe what he was being sold by George. That's why he chose LSU. And had he not chosen LSU, he may have chosen a different school besides George. He's at George now. But if you go back and watch the way that his process for the class of 2020 unfolded, I think you were left to believe that that Gilbert just wasn't quite believing the pitch that he was getting from UGA. In fact, let me give you a piece of audio here for a moment. This is Gilbert talking to our Jeff Sintel on his way to making a decision that at the time excluded Georgia on the message that he was getting from Georgia at the time. Now, I'll play this, and then after I play it, I'll explain why it matters today. Take a listen to this. Coach Harley, he really likes me, and I really like him. Obviously, his history, he brings that up a lot with David Njoku, um, his guys in Miami. So, yeah, that's basically what we talk about. We talk a lot now. I went down there for a visit, and we got to talk, so that was good. We just talked about how he was trying to change Georgia's offense around with the tight ends. Well, not change it around, but just add tight ends into it. So they tell me all the time they're trying to change Georgia's offense. They're trying to add the tight ends into it. Uh, they're telling me that all the time. Unfortunately, I don't take great pleasure in saying this, but I feel like I'm forced to admit the truth. 
Gilbert didn't believe that. And as it turns out, once again, this may be an example of the recruits being the first to know. The Georgia's offense for that 2019 season, this is the one that would have taken place after Gilbert spoke these words. As it turns out, no, this wasn't a dynamic offense, unfortunately. And this wasn't an offense that was especially creative in how it used tight ends. I'm not going to drag James Coley's name through the mud over and over again, but I've told you before, I don't think Coley was an effective offensive coordinator here at Georgia. And you sort of get the impression that Eric Gilbert sort of already knew that uh, he just wasn't that sold on what he was being pitched by the University of Georgia Todd Hartley's a great recruiter and Todd Hartley has won a bunch of these battles including with another five-star tight end Darnell Washington for that 2020 class but in terms of convincing Eric Gilbert that he was going to be a big part of the Georgia offense <laughs> It just wasn't being uh, – uh, uh, Gilbert just was not buying what, what Hartley was trying to sell, and that's just being honest. Now, all of that said to say this, that if you're really looking for a reason as a Georgia fan to be hopeful right now, that the message that Georgia once tried to sell to elite pass-catching targets that was not well-received, maybe there's evidence today – that the Georgia offense has evolved enough and there's enough true, well-established, genuine optimism because of Todd Munkin at offensive coordinator and JT Downs at quarterback and what Georgia has kind of lined up as a succession plan at quarterback after that. Maybe there's reason to believe that the new generation of recruits are being pitched on, hey, Georgia offensive transformation, maybe they're a little more likely to believe that right now. Let me show you something that I think is really interesting. Jeff Sintel, our Dog Nation recruiting insider, has had a wonderful stretch of stories at dognation.com. My hope is that you're reading all of them. They're really fantastic. Uh, I'm going to pull from a couple of those here on this show today. I hope you'll watch before the hedges uh, presented by Kroger with Jeff Sintel tonight. Of course, we'll talk to Jeff Sintel live again on Friday's show there as well. But we've got a July decision date coming from four-star wide receiver Kojo Antwi. One of the most interesting projects prospects I would say for the 2022 class because he's an in-state Atlanta area recruit who's getting a huge pull from out-of-state programs he's got a visit coming up to USC he is another one of these Georgia guys kind of connected to Texas A&M in sort of a weird way uh in Antwi's case he's got some family some uh, siblings that live out there but it's another seemingly like Georgia Texas A&M battle at least to a degree uh so Antwi's a really interesting prospect and Antwi was kind of a part of a an event here uh recently that Jeff had a chance to be a part of and was able to interview Antwi the full story is worth reading i want to kind of zero in on one small part of it once again based on the idea that recruits those who were invited to be inside the interior of a program to actually see the skeletons they actually see the the bones you know the to actually see what's going on on the inside of a program they're the first to know if things are trending up or things are trending down Understanding all of that, this statement from Kojo Antwi, I think is pretty interesting. Let me read this to you from Jeff Sintel's story. Antwi talking about the visit that he just took to Georgia and the fun that he had there, the family atmosphere that it conjured up for him. But he also says this, Kojo Antwi to Jeff Sintel Dog Nation, I feel like Georgia made it clear that they were going to throw the ball more this year. I don't know about you, but as a fan of Georgia, which I am, the fact that Antwi says that, 
I take that to be pretty good, uh, not just for his own recruitment. Antoine may choose Georgia. May, he may not. Uh, I think there's still a lot to be determined on all of that. I certainly hope that he does. And I guess there's reason to believe that Georgia's in good shape there. But for me, what Antoine says here, as interested as I, as interested as I am in where ultimately he goes to school, the statement from Kojo Antoine there is not for me about his ultimate college decision. It's about what he is seeing from Georgia as he makes the evaluation of where the right place for him to be is. And when Antoine says, not just that that Georgia's coaches are telling me they're going to throw the ball more. No, I, I love the three words that he uses in that sentence. They made it clear. Not they're telling me and I guess I believe them or, you know, uh, maybe maybe that turns out to be true. No. Uh, according to Antwi, if you want to kind of unpack his statement a little bit more, apparently Georgia was doing more than just making this pitch to him. Apparently Georgia was sharing some fairly compelling evidence that this might be true. And listen, for Georgia fans who have been kind of hoping this has been the case for some time, and you got media guys all the time telling you, hey, this is the year that Georgia has the big breakout offense. You know, you got uh, all kinds of, you know, uh, superstars all over the place. And sometimes uh, those predictions are not, not to be very accurate. Well, I to me the the statement from a guy like Antwi matters a lot more and Antwi says hey a part of my visit was a fairly fairly convincing pitch by the uh, Georgia coaches that this year is a big year for the Georgia offense and if you want a little evidence kind of back this up of what all this is about and kind of how it is that maybe Antwi is coming to believe this message in a way that some recruits in the past may have not. I mean, go look at the Phil Steele All-SEC list. We'll talk more to Mike Griffith about this in a moment. But, I mean, look at all these offensive names for Georgia that do show up on Phil Steele's All-SEC list. you got offensive linemen like Jamari Salyer and Justin Schaefer and Warren McClendon. But you've also got skill position guys showing up here in a way that may not have always been true in the past. JT Daniels is second team quarterback. Maybe he's better than that at the end of the season, but but second team's not anything to shake a stick at right now. Kyrus Jackson also is a second team wide receiver. Uh, Zamir White as a running back. Eric Gilbert, who we mentioned a moment ago, shows up on that list for Georgia there as well as a fourth team All SEC guy. Now I've told you before, at a certain point in time, some of these second, third, fourth team All SEC guys do have to work their way to being first team All SEC guys. But if we take Antwi at his word, a more prolific Georgia passing attack maybe it gives them a chance to do that. And that's to say nothing of guys like Jermaine Burton who don't make this list or George Pickens who's dealing with injury or or anything like that so much of this show and the people who watch and listen to the show has been about that kind of deep yearning to see Georgia finally explode offensively the way the very best teams in the country do and we spend a lot of time hoping that's the case my suggestion to you today is when a guy like Kojo Antwi says I was at George I took a visit they took me around they showed me everything they've got going on I came away convinced they're going to throw the ball more this year that's good news not just for where Antwi ultimately ends up playing his college ball but what for but for what Georgia also is able to do on the field here this fall very interesting words from a big time UGA recruiting target my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. I know we had a little bit of an issue there on YouTube yesterday, but it seems like that may be uh, in better shape here today. So I certainly appreciate all of that. Of course, podcasts, all kinds of platforms, the Apple Player, the Google Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com, a lot of different ways for you to listen to the podcast. Really appreciate you being a part of 
what we're doing here. Good stuff all the way around. And I'm glad to have you with us. It's Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of minutes. All of it made possible today by our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. I got to tell you, last week, enjoyed a little uh, time away. Summer, that's what it's all about. The weather's beautiful today, by the way. You're talking about uh, a great time to be in the mountains of western North Carolina. Plenty of sunshine, not too hot. Uh, a great chance to sneak indoors as well. Enjoy the gourmet restaurants, the tremendous casino gaming options, the wonderful shopping experiences available there. Of course, the luxury world-class spa. I mean, my suggestion would be uh, take that significant other in your life, uh, let them enjoy that spa. Maybe you sneak over, play a little golf, a little gaming. The sports book is open there, by the way, too. What, 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 talk about a great night to be at a Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or the other property, Harris Cherokee Valley River, uh, also just a two-hour drive from Atlanta. you got Eastern Conference Finals tonight opening up. What a game last night, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, a little bit of a ref show, but uh, but still some fun stuff. And a great chance to just get some action down. You can pl- you know play some wagers, play some bets on those games, and enjoy all of that right now at the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort properties. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. Let me give you a website. You can f- learn a whole lot more about all of this. It's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. You can find out all the great stuff going on this summer at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. So we have two fun guests coming up on the show today. Later on, uh, the great former Georgia tight end Troy Sadowski, good friend of ours here on Dog Nation Daily, a frequent commenter on Facebook. Some of you enjoy interacting with Troy. He was a great player at Georgia. We'll talk to him about the current state of these Georgia Bulldogs. That's going to be a ton of fun. Troy's also going to be a part of a fun event this weekend. A lot of former dogs getting together to sign some autographs, and I want to kind of help make you aware of that. So we'll do that with Troy Sadowski here in a few minutes. Mike Griffith also coming up in just a couple of minutes time there as well. Before that, though, let us go around the doghouse here today. And I told you there's going to be a lot of recruiting related stuff on today's program. And, you know, as I said before, Jeff Sintel's had some really good stuff on the site as of late. There was a story the other day with Jalen Walker. And this is one of those things where both in terms of fairness to Jeff, because I want to encourage you to go read the story for free at dognation.com, but also in the sake of time, I can't give you every good thing that Jalen Walker, who has quickly become one of my favorite recruits for the class of 2022, I can't give you every good thing that Walker said during his interview with Jeff the other day, but just know this, Jalen Walker, I think, takes his role as a UJ recruiter right now almost as seriously as like Glenn Schumann does. Like, I think the way that Glenn Schumann wakes up every single day knowing that he's got to, you know, earn his keep by going out there and being a great recruiter for Georgia, I sort of get the sense that Jalen Walker kind of views his own role at UGA in a pretty similar light. You will love Walker when you read in this story from uh, him just how dedicated he was uh, to being a recruiter and was a visit to him for Georgia as opposed to showing up at UGA, you know, expecting to have fun and have the red carpet rolled out for him. It certainly sounds like Walker should have been a recent visit to Georgia, not red carpet rolled out for him, but sleeves rolled up by him, ready to do work convincing other players to join him at Georgia. Georgia. There was some really good stuff in this story at dognation.com about that. One thing in particular, I will share this because I think this is kind of a big deal. Uh, uh, Travis Shaw is obviously a five-star defensive lineman out of the state of North Carolina. Walker and Shaw are friends. And we know that Walker has some influence on Shaw and really tried to leverage that influence during a visit they both took together to Georgia here recently. So if you want some good recruiting gossip of how things may be going for Georgia with the five-star defensive lineman Travis Shaw from the mouth of Jalen Walker, let me give you a couple of sentences here for a moment. 
Jalen Walker says about Travis Shaw that during his George visit, he was all smiles when he got there. He was all smiles throughout the whole weekend. He and I had a ball together. I felt like the dogs did well with him releasing the final four schools, which included UGA. Uh, Walker goes on to say of Travis Shaw, all of his final four schools are great schools, but I feel like the dogs have made a great impression on him. Boy, you like the idea of that great impression. It obviously sounds like there's a pretty big you know, battle going on here, maybe with the in-state uh, school, North Carolina, who's become really a, a pretty phenomenal recruiting program in the days under Mac Brown thus far. It sounds like they're a big factor here for Shaw. Clemson, I guess, to a degree, is also a factor there as well. But you can't ask for much better than that. Big impression on Travis Shaw, all smiles for the entirety of the uh, visit. That is a very positive update. Good stuff by Jalen Walker. Good stuff from Jeff Sintel and a great chance to go around the doghouse there right there. All right, so here's what we're going to do. It is Troy Sadowski later on. Always fun to get a chance to talk uh, some dogs with a guy who was a great player for this program back in the decade of the 1980s. We will do that. We'll have more on this uh, uh, Phil Steele All-SEC list that I briefly mentioned there, including talking to our buddy Mike Griffith about that right now. In fact, why don't we get that started? Uh, great stuff here from Mike. First chance to talk to him live now in a little while, so let's do that. Here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. A lot to talk to Mike Griffith about. Have not talked to him in kind of a live format in a number of days. He was good enough to join us twice during our pre-recorded shows last week, and that was certainly a fun thing to be a part of. Uh, Mike, hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a uh, great summer, and I certainly appreciate you being back with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort again today. Yeah, welcome back, BA. Hope you had a good week away, man. Yeah, it was a great time. I, I really enjoyed myself on that. It was a lot of fun, and I'm glad to have you as a part of the program here today there as well. Let me, I guess, kind of start with this, if you don't mind. You wrote about this. Interesting to see, you know, all of the uh, Georgia players that kind of show up on the All-SEC list and all of the, um, you know, the, the, the potential kind of breakout years that Georgia has at its disposal right there, in, including something I know that you kind of zeroed in on based on the list that Phil Steele puts out of his all-SEC teams, the battle that's going to go on between uh, JT Daniels and Matt Corral at Ole Miss. I'd probably include Bryce Young in this because he was Athlon Sports' second-team all-SEC quarterback. Kind of an interesting battle to see who emerges as the top quarterback in the SEC for this upcoming season, is it not? Yeah, you know, the preseason lists are fun because it's kind of like a preseason top 25. Everybody everybody kind of does it different. Are you, are you basing it off of last year's performance? Uh, are you basing it on uh, projecting the success? Is it about who you think is going to have the better numbers? Is it about who you think is going to have the better uh, season, wins and losses-wise? I mean, are, are you predicting what you think others are going to predict and this is how it's going to come out? Or is it your team, you know? And so when Phil Steele had Matt Corral over uh, JT, I thought it said more about the prediction for the Georgia offense and the skepticism that maybe Kirby really isn't going to turn it loose. I think there's a perception, you know, and certainly last year Lane Kiffin and Old Miss uh, really lit it up. But there was a lot of interceptions thrown. I mean, this is a guy that threw 14 interceptions, if I'm not mistaken. What, 26 uh, touchdown passes, 14 picks? And, and, and this is the guy that's a better quarterback than JT Daniels um, after he loses Elijah Moore and his go-to tight end, his top two receivers. So I thought that a bit of a slap in the face and, and maybe a little bit of skepticism that Phil Steele's not bought in 
on JT Daniels in this Georgia offense. Well, in fairness, Athlon Sports also had Matt Corral as their first team all SEC quarterback. I do SEC Country Live every week. We've had, you know, analysts and and magazine writers, things like that on the show the last few weeks. And there has been a lot of talk up about Corral there. And I guess my my thought on this is is that I don't really view the Corral and Daniels comparison as all that interesting one way or another because, let's face it, even if Matt Corral were to have this gigantic statistical season, I think you would join me in saying that doesn't mean much for Ole Miss one way or the other. Their Vegas number, their over-under number is seven and a half, so a good season for Ole Miss would be eight wins. I think they have a hard time matching that, but that would be a good season. But even at eight wins, they're a long way away from being a true you know, contender there in the SEC West. To me, the more interesting comparison is for someone like, say, Bryce Young, who I mentioned before, Athlon Sports had as their second team all SEC quarterback. And so that's the other guy that sort of seems to be in this conversation, along with Danielson Corral, to be the best quarterback in the SEC. And the young uh, Daniels comparison, Mike, I would say is very interesting because here's the thing that if you're a Georgia fan, I think you're hopeful of is that, you know, Alabama's got a new offensive coordinator. Now, he may be a former NFL head coach, but he's still brand new to Tuscaloosa. Bryce Young is a former five-star and a guy that you know played some last year, but this is not a guy who has starting quarterback experience. Daniels not only has a few games under his belt as Georgia starter in the offense that will be playing in this season, he also started for full season at USC. I do think it's very fair and very interesting to compare Young to Daniels. And this is where, if you want to sort of pin hopes on a Georgia championship, SEC, national or otherwise, this is what you have to have. You have to have the experience of JT Daniels matter more. He's got to outplay for the season a guy in Bryce Young who's not been a starting quarterback before. Yeah, you know, I, I'll start out with this. You know, I, I did Athlon for 25 years, and I know those guys well. I, I really like their publication. I think they do a great job out of Nashville. And uh, certainly Phil Steele's come on, and, and, you know, he's done his magazine, and I think he's pretty thorough. That's a really good magazine also. Either one of those magazines I would strongly recommend uh, as, as a great off-season read and as a resource. But when it comes to picking all SEC, it's a crapshoot, and the way they do it is, you know, it, it is what it is. It's not like there's a, there's a higher power there with a crystal ball. <laughs> Nobody has that crystal ball. You know, the, the uh, Matt Corral thing with JT is very interesting in the sense that these two are somewhat intertwined by Matt Corral's decision uh, or Southern Cal's decision, depending on which version of the story you get back in 2017, uh, for his commitment to no longer be binding. It was when Corral vacated that Southern Cal's commitment spot that JT Daniels took a look and said, hey, you know what? Maybe I want to graduate early after all. And, and so he did. And it was it was based it was wrong it was triggered by Corral's decision or USC's decision those two to part ways that's how JT Daniels ended up leaving high school a year early so they're somewhat intertwined they're both Southern California kids obviously JT from a much better program at Modern Day uh, whereas I think Corral's a Ventura kid uh, but still a, an extremely talented guy and we saw that last year but you know I look at Corral's numbers last year. And I look at JT's, and, and if you want to base it off of that, you know, Corral got to play against Vanderbilt. Call up that box score. What was it, something like 30 or 34, six touchdowns, no picks. Take that game out or project what JT would have done against Vandy. So I, I, think, that, I think that that is a, a good comp- and an interesting comp- – the thing about the Bryce Young comparison, there's two things here. One, I'm not even sure Bryce Young at this stage, I'm not completely 100% and this is no insult to Bryce as much as it is the talent that they have and, and the rebuild. I'm not 100% he's going to be the quarterback by the end of the year. 
you know, he's a different kind of quarterback than what they have behind him. I, and I would say all odds are that he is. You know, oh, Mike doesn't. No, no, don't go there. I'm just saying I'm going to give a 5 or a 10% margin that Bama decides they want to go back to a little bit more of a pro style because we're talking about an RPO quarterback here. So it's somewhat apples to oranges to the type of offense that I anticipate Alabama running compared to what we're going to see from Todd Munkin with this pro-style spread and the air raid concept. So to me, the bigger question on the final numbers uh, isn't about – it's the supporting cast. And, you know, as I wrote this morning, what Kirby Smart said, it's the guys around him, the running backs, the receivers, the protection he gets on the line. To me, that's what's going to determine how big JT's numbers are. Is, um, and I think they're going to be big. I'm, I'm hearing really good things about these off-season workouts. We've got a story up right now with four wide receiver up, updates. Uh, Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint, uh, maybe the breakthrough guy that we haven't talked a lot about. But um, the, the preseason teams are always interesting. I was, I was a little surprised Jermaine Burton was completely left off by Phil Steele. I mean, if you're going to go first team, second team, third team, fourth team, my goodness, uh, you don't think Jermaine Burton will even be on the fourth team? He had Gilbert there. And then at running back, uh, you know, hey, so much for RBU. Uh, Zamir is a 14 back, so they have six running backs identified better than Zamir White, who's the go-to guy, theoretically at least. At the start of the year, he'll be the starter. So to me, there's plenty of motivation for the Georgia Bulldogs looking at those preseason teams, Brandon. You mentioned the wide receiver story that you wrote at DogNation.com. That just showed up a little while ago, so I haven't had a chance to read that. Uh, but you were talking about some of the off-season stuff that you've seen. For those who haven't had a chance to check it out themselves, and I hope people will go read it, give us a little bit more about what you've kind of seen or maybe heard about these Georgia wide receivers as of late. Yeah, you know, Roseman Jackson, a guy that will also be at the X, and, you know, we know that that's where uh, Eric Gilbert is coming in to learn, but, but Gilbert's got a lot to learn. And, you know, first of all, he's transitioning from tight end to receiver, but secondly, he didn't have the benefit of spring, and he wasn't out in California. So there, there's a lot of catch-up going on. Uh, he's got the benefit of, of JT's tutelage there, and JT is a great instructor. I mean, JT is a guy that this is what JT is, you know, is, is – Cole Kubelik said earlier this spring, the rest of the country is just now catching up. But Georgia fans know that we're talking about a student of the game. We're talking about a guy in almost like a massive on. I mean, sixth grade, this guy's drawn up offense on the board better than a starting quarterback at a powerhouse national high school program. So that's what JT gives you is the professor, right? He's the mad scientist in the room uh, and the gunslinger on Saturday. So Gilbert has that, that um, tutelage and, and from uh, JT, and he's catching up, and he's learning. But you're going to have Rosemary Jackson and Gilbert at that X, and and that is one nice thing. You know, we talk about you know what are the weapons going to do. Uh, one strength, uh, maybe they're a little green in some areas, but there's a lot of variety, and that's a beautiful thing in Todd Munkin's offense with these air raid principles. And just when I keep saying air raid principles, just think of it like this: you know, you line up. And you run to space. You run to green. That's what the air raid is, is you run to space in terms of the defense can't possibly be everywhere. However they're covering you, they're giving you something. And the air raid is designed for the receivers to find that open space in the defense, whatever it is. And Munkin has a lot of variety in his offense. The key is having a quarterback that can get you into those right plays, make the adjustments at the line, and the receivers that are going to run the precise routes and have the proper spacing because that means everything. So when we talk about off-season workouts and drill work and seven-on-seven, seven, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, most years I would yawn and roll my eyes. But in an offense like this, precision 
is everything. It's absolutely everything. So when we talk about Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint being out there now and getting good work at the X after having, you know, missing the, uh, you know, the spring with the broken ankle recovery, when we talk about Jermaine Burton being completely over the hyperextended knee that he suffered on March 30th, that's really big, you know, yeah. to have those guys healthy and going through those workouts. When we talk about Arian Smith no longer running track, now focused specifically on football, his track is done, right? Four by one, lead leg, school record, second in the NCAAs. You know, that's what he did for summer, vacation, so to speak. But now he's back. Remember, he had a sprained wrist. It's important that these guys are getting dialed in with JT in these voluntary off-season workouts. I think Georgia fans should feel really good about that, Brandon. Yeah, Mike, I think it's going to be a really interesting time, and I know you're going to write more about this at dognation.com. I'll certainly look forward to reading that from you in the uh, days to come. Thanks for your insight on kind of where things stand as of right now, and I invite folks to check out a very interesting story about the UJ wide receivers there at dognation.com. We certainly appreciate your time on that, and we'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you very soon here as well. Look forward to it, Brandon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yes, a really interesting stuff there, and I think Mike's take on Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, is a good one. That you know, Jack Saint was a pretty polished receiver coming into high school, and he was really working his way into showing you during the season a year ago what he was all about. And then he obviously suffers what was a terrible injury against Florida. To me, one of the most hopeful and exciting and enjoyable parts of the offseason thus far has been the videos that kind of pop up of Rosemey Jack Saint looking healthier. Smart called him close to being uh, ready to play back during the spring. The video evidence we've gotten from that would seem to suggest that's a possibility. So I think that's a really good thing all the way around there. We'll get another interview guest here coming up in a moment. Uh, Troy Sadowski, the uh, terrific former Georgia tight end. We'll talk to him here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Before that, though, I do want to squeeze in an SEC through and talk a little bit more about some of the the uh the all sec names that mike was just discussing there before that quick message about my friends at Pella window and door of georgia energy efficient windows and doors that's good this time of year it keeps the inside where it's supposed to be on the inside of your house the outside all those bugs like summertime uh, is just crazy with the bugs even before like is it the cicadas how you say that i'm not even sure i've seen a cicada i don't know if they're in georgia or not but there's also always a lot of bugs of all stripes and varieties in the summer keep that stuff on the outside of the house energy efficient windows and doors uh one of the ways you're able to do that you know nice seal it looks good curb appeal all that also great savings there as well with Pella window and door of georgia you can currently get 10 percent off your entire project or zero percent apr for 24 months there's a free no pressure consultation where you can learn all about all the options installation the variety of choices that you can make and everything like that so you see it on the screen there give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 or pellaofga.com slash dog nation one more time that website pellaofga.com slash dog nation just tell them you heard about them here on dog nation daily and i said they would take good care of you because i know that they will all right sec through time here for a moment so the rest of the all sec list we talked offense a moment ago here are the names for Georgia that show up defensively from Phil Steele. And Phil Steele's just kind of one guy. I certainly understand that. And, you know, Steele is probably not my favorite of the preseason magazines. The one I used to love was like the Sporting News and it became Street and Smith's. I actually don't think that got published this year. So uh, pour a little out for Street and Smith's, I guess. Uh, but Phil Steele is kind of like a venerable magazine. It's been around forever. Uh, here are the all SEC Georgia defensive guys you got from him. 
Adam Anderson showing up on the fourth team, Lewis Seen showing up on the fourth team, Jordan Davis showing up on the first team, and N'Kobe Dean showing up on the second team. And of course, uh, shout out to Jake Camarda, who was once again named All-SEC preseason first team punter. He got the same nod from Athlon there as well. So my statement about this is the same as it has been. You're going to have a few of these guys, second, third, and fourth team on both offense and defense, work their way up to first team on the real list at the end of the season, like the AP list at the end of the year. uh, You're going to have about six of those first team all SEC guys, much the same way we've kind of been saying, hey, you got to have about six or maybe seven, certainly five would be nice of those first round picks for the 2022 draft. You've got to take this collection of talent and identify a handful, half dozen or so, true top-end performers and from that group you see the candidates to do that now you've also guys like guys guys like nolan smith that don't show up on this list that are a chance to do that mike mentioned jermaine burton he's a chance to do that there as well but you've got to have a few of those guys really emerge as far as the rest of the sec goes you know it's interesting to hear mike's take on matt corral you know i continue to believe that one way or another that Corral is little more than a stat sheet guy, right? I mean, he may be a nice draft pick in the NFL. Uh, he may put up big numbers there at Ole Miss. But Matt Corral is not going to decide the SEC West, and he's not going to be uh, a blip on Georgia's radar once so, you know, whatsoever. So, you know, if Corral puts up all SEC numbers, I don't necessarily think that takes much away from, from JT Daniels. But I do believe that you need, because of the experience, because of the continuity offensive coordinator you do need jt daniels to outplay bryce young in alabama that's something that you need if you're interested the uh the other quarterbacks to get mentioned bryce young actually lower on the phil Steele list than he was in athlon he's just fourth team and Embry jones from florida shows up on the third team it's of these guys you know mike sort of questioned whether or not Bryce Young could hold on all season long as the Alabama starter. To my knowledge, I don't believe they have really another quarterback in that program right now. I mean, I don't think Paul Tyson is a future starter at quarterback for for Alabama. But what Mike says about Bryce Young, I would maybe say about Emory Jones. I certainly don't have any kind of extra insight on this. But but Dan Mullen was not particularly complimentary of, of, of Jones at the end of the season. I could certainly see someone like Anthony Richardson competing for playing time there. Uh, it, it's actually of the all-SEC quarterback that get mentioned it's actually jones who i sort of wonder how he uh handles his way the uh, you know f- for the full season there when it comes to running backs interesting to see names like chris rodriguez from kentucky showing up kevin harris from south carolina you almost wonder if harris is going to be the best running back in his own team with marshawn lloyd coming back from an uh, injury right now uh, obviously isaiah spiller for uh texas a&m expected to have a, a big season all the way around there as well so pretty interesting stuff you can read more about this uh at dognation.com and the phil still magazine will be on newsstands here coming up very soon there as well all right with that said here on dog nation daily presented by harris cherokee casino resort we're going to transition over and welcome in a guy that i always enjoy getting a chance to speak to when we do get to speak to him because in the decade of the 80s this was one of the great players to come through georgia an all-american tight end for the dogs back in 1988 and a guy who's still a big part of the UGA community and a part of a big event this weekend that I want to tell you more about there as well. It is Troy Sadowski who joins us here on the program here today. Troy, it's been a while, so we've got a chance to speak to you. I certainly appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much for being with us here today. 
Well, good morning, and it's always a pleasure to be on your show. And obviously, I want to tell you, talk to folks about what you guys got going on this weekend, because I think it's a lot of fun, and I want to make sure our audience knows all about that. But when you have a chance to talk to someone like you who has the credentials you have, it's always also valuable for us to get some insight on what the dog's going to be like here this season. You follow this stuff pretty closely. We see you in our comment sections on our show. A lot of Georgia fans enjoy the chance to interact with you there. What's your take on Georgia right now? How set up for success do you believe the dogs are this season? Well, I mean, I'm excited about the opening Clemson game, and that was one of the big uh, deals when I was playing. We always opened up with Clemson. Of course, uh, it was home and home. Uh, now they'll be playing in Charlotte. But I think it's going to be uh, an opportunity for Georgia to step up and knock off one of the big dogs out there. And uh, They're right on the cusp of really making some uh, big noise across the country, but we've got to go out and we've got to defeat the Clemsons, the Alabamas, yeah. the Ohio States. Uh, and once we do that, we'll be uh, getting that recognition uh, that the program really deserves. I think your take on Clemson is an interesting one because I'm lucky enough that I lived through those games as a young fan back in the 1980s, but you know, I saw the way that your team, the Tigers, you know, there was there was real rivalry there, right? I mean, that that was a game that really mattered, and it's kind of funny to hear a lot of UGA fans that do remember the '80s and and, and know that time. When you look at this Georgia Clemson game to start this season, you know, a lot of folks around the country just sort of think of this as a matchup of top teams in this age but for georgia fans there's a lot of history there there's a lot of heritage there and a win against clemson back in the 80s was a big deal and when clemson would would get one against the dogs that really hurt back then i mean that that was a true legitimate rivalry and so i think for folks like us who who you know appreciate that age i think we like the idea of this being a renewal of all that when these two teams get together on the field here this uh, this fall Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to them getting the, the game cranked back up. But uh, one of the games that we had up in Clemson was one of my uh, most embarrassing moments in college football. We were on their goal line, uh, running back, fumbled the football, and I was in the end zone, and the ball was right next to my leg. I had no idea it was there. The center at the time, Pete Anderson, jumped on the ball, recovered it for a touchdown, uh, and I had that opportunity, but I didn't see the ball next to my leg. So uh, I remember Coach Dooley coming off the sidelines and coming over, and he looked at me and he said, Troy, are you sure you couldn't see the football? <laughs> and that kind of kind of put Pete Anderson on the map. Uh he made his rounds across the back of the end zone, holding up the football. I mean, that's a, a dream for every offensive lineman, sure. especially a center, to score a touchdown like that. Uh, but I was that close to having it be my moment, and I failed. Well, you had a lot of uh, other great moments there at UGA, but I appreciate the, the humility you show in telling a very funny story there. 
you know, this is a very interesting time for the tight end position at Georgia. It's it's deep. You've got a guy like Darnell Washington who, you know, kind of shows up on some all-SEC conversation. But there are also guys like John Fitzpatrick who've, you know, played well for UGA in the past. There's a guy like Brock Bowers who steps in from California as a freshman who seems to be a real pass-catching target. Showed some of that on G-Day. Eric Gilbert is here, although maybe more of a wide receiver now in this phase of his career. You know, the tight end position at UGA, Troy, really seems to evolve what do you think of the direction it's evolving in for the dogs? I mean, I think we've had great tight ends in the past. Uh, I mean, you can go all the way back to Carney Norris and Clarence K back in the early 80s, but there's never been a meeting room this crowded uh, with great talent. And that's one of the things is that each of them brings to the table something a little different than the other one does. So, uh, they could literally start and play any combination of people in that meeting room and not see a drop-off in play. Yeah, no, it's a fun thing to think about, and it's going to be a, a great time. And speaking of a great time, you're a part of a really fun thing here coming up this weekend. And, Troy, this is something you don't know about me. When we first got together and talked about the autograph signing you're going to do, like I'm a big card fan. I used to grow, I grew up going to the the card shows, the sports card shows, and that was a big part of my childhood. Something I very much enjoyed, and it's actually really cool to see the way that that kind of sports card market has kind of reemerged here. And there's a sports card and autograph show here this weekend that you're going to be a part of. It's June 26th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Kerry W. Martin Conference Center there in Warner Robins, Georgia. Not only are you going to be signing autographs, Danny Ware, the former Georgia running back, is going to be there. Otis Nixon, the great former uh, Braves outfit. Fielder is going to be there. Uh, Caleb King, a whole bunch of former dogs, former athletes of all stripes there signing autographs. It's going to be, I think, for the folks there in Middle Georgia who can get over there to be a part of it, it's going to be a, a really big time. How much are you looking forward to getting a chance to be around some Georgia fans here this weekend? Oh, I'm excited about it. It'll uh, help get me uh, pumped up for the upcoming season. But more importantly, it's a really wonderful, humbling experience that, uh, you know, I I played at the University of Georgia so long ago, but people still remember you uh, and and that and get get a chance to interact with people face to face and get a chance to talk to the the dog nation, so to speak. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Also, um, Lars Tate's going to be there. So it's going to be it's going to be nice to uh, hook up with him again. Because I haven't seen him in a while, but uh, he was one of the running backs that I had the opportunity uh, and the pleasure to block for up at Georgia. I mean, we ran that tall sweep a lot, and he was a big part of it. And a lot of people don't realize that, uh, I mean, he had over 3,000 yards. He had 36 touchdowns, and that was a running back that shared carries with other running backs. That's and a- we had a, a, a big-time backfield with uh, – him and uh, Tim Worley, Keith Henderson, Rodney Hampton. Uh, so uh, you could rotate the backs. I mean, and it was a, uh, again, you didn't have any drop off in play, and, and he was a big part of that. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing him again as well. Yeah, listen, if you're going to start talking 1988 team, I'll, I'll do that with you for about four or five hours because you're right. That 88 team had, what, four running backs to play in the NFL between Hampton and Worley, who both had great seasons, Keith Henderson, who was a, a terrific player in his own right, Alfonso Ellis, a part of that team there as well. That's a deep stable of running backs. And, and Troy, those of us who know you know this well. You were very proud of those toss-sweet blocks. You got a chance to to pin those guys down and, 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 and you know sort of set that edge for that's a big part of what led you to be an all-american tight end back then and you've obviously you know argued for georgia running more of that toss sweep stuff here in, in this age there as well uh those are great memories for so many of us to see how well uh georgia worked the outside during that running game and what a big part you were of of the blocking that enabled all that to take place well, that was back when we ran the the power eye when we had a fullback in the backfield that's right. it's, it's rare now that you see a fullback in the backfield they usually use uh, tight ends and H-backs for that, but we always had a fullback in the backfield. We ran off tackle plays, we ran dive plays, but one of the uh, staples that we had success with was that tall sweep, and it's really uh, teams every year that uh, every time Georgia plays Florida, uh, those long runs that mm-hmm. Henderson and Worley had on those plays are always being shown again. Yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. And, Troy, looking forward to uh, getting a chance to talk to you more as we head towards the upcoming season. I know it's going to be a great time here this weekend with you and a lot of former dogs and former Braves and everything else in between for a great autograph uh, signing there in uh, Middle Georgia and Warner Robins here coming up on June 26th. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hope you enjoy getting a chance to be a part of all of this with some dog fans here coming up this weekend. And as I said before, we will look forward to getting a chance to speak to you very soon there as well. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, and go dogs. Yes, sir. Yeah, listen. <laughs> I could probably do uh, several hours worth of talk about the 1988 team, and of course, you know, some great moments there against Florida for both Henderson and Worley, as uh, Troy Sadowski mentioned there. Uh, so, that, you know, really, really great stuff. Just a good time. Uh, that was the final year for Vince Dooley there as well. Uh, so 201 wins the cap on his career of a really fun interesting bowl game against Michigan State that year uh, Troy Sadowski a really good football story uh, for him for sure and as I said before a, a great weekend coming up there I love like I said I love sports card shows love them and uh, they're back in a big way including this weekend the autograph and card show there and uh, Warner Robbins uh, so good stuff how about the uh, Gator Hater Roll Call and our Golden Shoe Chad Buchanan and uh, Mad Dog both sent this to me Matt, Dan Mullen being painted as if he was a clown portrait that's really funny stuff I'll give Chad and Mad Dog both the Golden Shoe for that and our Gator Hater Countdown how about 129 days from right now Dogs get some revenge against the lousy stinking Gators we'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort talk to you then everybody and on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. I'll take some of your comments, and the best way to share those with me is by hitting me up on Twitter at DogNationDaily or by posting your thoughts in the comment section when we post the show each and every day at DogNation.com. We'll run through a few of these. I mentioned our golden shoe today. Chad Buchanan and Mad Dog sent me the same kind of meme of Dan Mullen being, you know, sitting for a portrait and being painted like a clown and that reminded a lot of folks of our friends at 7-6 Apparel who they did the Dan Mullen clown nose t-shirt and I've worn that on the show a couple of times. It was a gift to, to me by from one of you and so they kind of got involved in this and that was kind of a great thing to be able to see so I, I appreciate their fun and enjoying all that and having fun with dog fans when it comes to the 
to the relationship that the dogs have with Dan Mullen and those lousy stinking gators here right now. I also talked in the show yesterday about the kind of oddball tweet from Lane Kiffin, who I don't take all that seriously. Georgia fans, as I said, kind of mostly rolled their eyes at, at the thing from Kiffin yesterday, kind of making smart Nick Saban's child. <laughs> Before I read the comment, I guess I was kind of left to think, well, if um, – if if Kirby Smart is Nick Saban's son, I guess what does that make Lane Kiffin and all of this? And I guess I won't quite say what I think that makes him. Uh, but nonetheless, um, uh, Power uh, Power G Woods uh, writes into the comment section that he hopes that the Lane Kiffin tweet makes Smart even more hungry for a national championship. He says, keep pouring gas on that fire. It'll just make the victory more sweet. I think that's true. And you are kind of left to wonder because – the real issue with the Lane Kiffin tweet is not the fact that Kiffin tweeted, because Kiffin tweets all kinds of dumb stuff all the time. It's just kind of what he does. The real issue, though, is is for all the like the non-Georgia fans who are like liking and retweeting this all the time, like what are they going to do once Georgia finally does get over the hump and win? And admittedly, it's been a long way. And those of us who are have lived through most of this are very, very tired of the weight that we've been forced to endure. I won't mind telling you that. And for the teams that have kind of gotten over on Georgia during that time, prominently speaking Alabama, of course, there is some bragging rights they have right now that Georgia has very little defense against. I understand all of that. But you want to talk about, you know, a very substantial hobby that some people are going to have taken from them when Georgia does win a national championship, you're kind of sort of left to wonder, um, uh, you know, what those people will then do because there's an entire like cottage industry on the internet of people who just sort of make fun of Georgia all the time. And there are plenty of dog fans who want to see those folks kind of get their reckoning. I also said this on my appearance on uh, 960 The Ref this morning. I make a uh, weekly appearance there on their morning show. I love my friends Logan Booker and Dave Johnson, and I enjoy being on their show. And they were asking about the Lane Kiffin situation. And like, here's the distinction I'll draw between Kirby Smart and Lane Kiffin. To me, Kiffin seeks that word that you know is so, I guess, prominent now, the idea of being an influencer like he wants to be a social media influencer you know seeking those retweets seeking those likes you know seeking all of that but there's difference between being an influencer and actually having influence because lane kiffin while he may be a social media influencer getting a lot of attention there on twitter or whatever else he has very little actual influence on how the SEC will be decided this season. He will not determine the SEC West. I don't believe Ole Miss is good enough to do that. And there is almost zero chance that Ole Miss could ever stand across from Georgia in an SEC championship game. That is just not the kind of thing that's a legitimate possibility. So while Kiffin may be a social media influencer, it's Kirby Smart who has actual legitimate influence. Georgia may or may not win the SEC, but the road to that SEC championship and Conversely, the road to the college football playoff after that, in some form or fashion, does go through Athens, Georgia. There's a big difference between being an influencer and actually having some power and influence on how seasons are decided. I think that's an important thing to bring up. Doggy, uh, D-A-W-G-G-Y, on the comment section, going back to the Supreme Court decision from yesterday that was a big part of the uh, chatter on the college football world, says, now that the college, now that college athletics have invited the federal government to join the fun of paying and compensating football players, he says what you're about to witness is the beginning of the end of college athletics. I think that's a very interesting statement. And 
I don't think the situation is necessarily that dire, but I do think you need to be on guard that big radical changes and the insatiable appetite from some people for even more radical change in the future is the kind of thing that eventually those that care about college football may have to offer a defense against. Because, look, we talked about this yesterday, and it can be easy to kind of you know get lost in all of this. But one of my biggest frustrations with the NCAA, I'm talking about like Emmert, the you know the, the the leader of the organization, and some of the other people who kind of exist at the kind of top NCAA level, they're just not very good at defending their right to exist. They are so scared of the social media mob that always seems to be nipping at the heels of college athletics. They're so scared of offending those people that. They never offer a very hearty defense for why college athletics in its amateur form, why it exists. And so they essentially get rolled at every turn because they just don't defend themselves. Let me give you a brief comparison uh, of how things could be different and may need to be different in the future. At one point in time last year, it seemed like we were on the verge of having the entire college football season canceled, right? The Big Ten was seemingly moving in that direction. The Pac-12 was always going to do whatever the Big Ten was going to do. And the kind of the thought was, this was you know, prominently pushed by a lot of folks in the media, that once the Big Ten made its decision, the other leagues would be forced to do the same thing. That was just kind of the, the, the common belief. And listen, there was a very good reason why that was being considered. The coronavirus was a very big deal, very, very serious. And, you know... Health outcomes at that time were, were you know, a little scary for, for, for a lot of people, and there was a lot of unknowns. So it was worth taking all of that seriously. It was worth paying close attention to that. But there was a belief by smart people that there was a way to have a season. It may be hard. It may be challenging. But you could conduct a season in a healthy and safe way. And at some point in time, when it seemed like all the dominoes were falling against the idea of doing that, there were a lot of people, many in the SEC, who fought back against that and said, no, it doesn't have to be this way. I am willing to put my reputation on the line to defend college football's right to exist in 2020. And they won. And it worked out great. And I think we're all thankful that we had a season, even if it didn't quite work out to the tune of the Georgia National Championship. Just playing games last year was a very nice reward, given how uncertain it was at one point in time. And the defense offered of college football, it's right to exist in the challenges of 2020. That could be a blueprint for what needs to happen in the future there as well. As of this particular moment, on the basis of just one Supreme Court case that doesn't really actually impact player compensation, there's no immediate looming threat. But there is certainly a belief that, you know, the the rumblings and grumblings of all of this could lead to more trouble for college athletics in the future, especially in terms of the idea of amateurism, an idea that I believe is worth defending. So much the same way college football, at least some in college football, defended themselves in 2020, they may have to defend their right to exist in the future. This is probably a story worth paying attention to, and you hope that there are people who have some version of moral courage to be able to do that if they are called upon, because while it's not necessarily my belief right now that the entire entity is under attack, it is certainly something that I view as a possibility in the future, and uh, we will certainly have our eyes 
on all of that. We appreciate you being here for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Thank you very much for your insight, your comments. I'd love to have you share those with me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comment section at dognation.com. We'll do more of this uh, again tomorrow. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. And I'll see you for the big show there as well, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. We'll look forward to talking to you then.